Good morning, everybody. Very, I speak for my wife as well. We're very glad to be here and to worship with you. It's always a joy to come here and a nice occasion as well to start the year with this uh, special uh, 40-day condition and uh, to do that together is so important. So um, thank you all for your devotion. Um, My title today is Be Creative. I can go now, right? I think that's, that's really it. I want you to be creative. Uh, let's have a look. Can you see anything on the screen behind me there? Sermon, right. Okay. Wonderful. If we turn to the exposition of the divine principle, uh, you will see in the principle of creation section five, how are we doing? It doesn't like if we open it in the If you look at section five, uh, paragraph two, it says there, human beings are meant to inherit the creative nature of God and participate with God in his great work of creation. Did you catch that? Yes, human beings are meant to inherit the creative nature of God and participate with God in his great work of creation. Can you see that? There we go. Now, we often talk about... uh, the blessing of God that allows us, uh, even requires us, I would say, to be co-creators in creating ourselves, in taking part in our own personal development and path in life. We have to exercise our uh, own kind of education and development and make uh, conscious choices based on our conscience along the way with help from teachers and parents and others. But we're very involved in that, to make ourselves, to bring out our uh, godly personality and to craft that into something uh, lasting. But I think this quotation says uh, more than just that idea of uh, uh, being part of this growth and development consciously. Uh, We are to inherit God's creative nature and and participate with God in his great work of creation. For this, then we have to take a very broad definition of uh, creativity and what it is. So, you know, I think uh, our true father always looked at, um, say, scientists or inventors or these kind of uh, people as people alongside artists. They're people who are creating things, and they are often... Uh, relying, consciously or not, on inspiration from heaven. And that uh, uh, comes uh, clear when you, you hear certain stories about how people invented things. Uh, you can, can hear about the spirit world there. So God's creative nature is something extraordinary to even try to emulate. And as I've hinted, I think we have a rather narrow view very often of what art is and who is an artist. 
The fact is we've all inherited something of God's creative nature. So this spiritual understanding of art and the nature of the artist uh, and even what constitutes a work of art is actually very broad. Artists take after the creativity of God. And, but also, as we said, so do scientists and inventors, anybody who's contributing something positive to the world and new ideas, new developments, new ways of doing things. This is all aspects of our creativity. And it's a very, very exciting and positive aspect of ourselves. So uh, we know that things that people create can be used for bad as well as good. But I don't think that should in any way stop us creating. Right? We have to welcome new developments. Even uh, I was reading a little AI summary, artificial intelligence summary, which you get now with your Zoom calls, huh? uh, of uh, a meeting I had with somebody. And when I read it, I said, that's, that's been put better than I could put it. <laughs> did we really talk about that? I suppose we did, but, uh, and it was what I was trying to get to, but it, somehow the artificial intelligence worked it out and it was there. It's not always right. Sometimes, you know, uh, it's, uh, some sentences saying they were talking about this mother coming to Europe, like with a question mark, what was this about, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I could work out from that what it was we were saying, right? So um, even then, I think it's important not to take the view that creativity is the sole possession of some elite personages, you know, some people, they are artists and creators, and the rest of us are, are kind of, you know, off the map when it comes to that. Um, often at, at HARP or young persons workshops that I would be teaching, especially in the summer, I would often start by asking, you know, who here uh, has a creative nature? And very few hands go up, right? two or three hands, you know, because in, instantly, something to do with our culture, people are thinking, oh, I have to be, you know, almost a professional. I have to be an artist, a painter, or a sculptor, or a dancer, or a great musician, and none of those things. I'd like to be, you know, but somewhere it, it pushes aside this kind of truth, which is we all have a creative nature. So, um, uh, I would tell them, of course, uh, it's a kind of trick question, and actually they are all uh, people with a creative nature. So just as we talk about, um, it's quite common nowadays to talk about multiple intelligences. Have you heard that term? Even there's something called football intelligence, right? which I certainly possess zero of. Right? Uh, but, you know, certain people have that, ex you know, extra bit of, ability in that area, and it kind of comes naturally, uh, all the things that are needed to play that game well. So I think also there are multiple uh, expressions of natural creativity. So, um, you know, this is part of who we are as God's children. And uh, through this, we inherit something of God's characteristics. It's wonderful. It just struck me as I was sitting there. Uh, I chose this uh, topic. And of course, this is Harrow Arts Center. 
and we're being serenaded by, you know, don't cry for me, Argentina on a brass band. And I thought, oh, this is the place to be, isn't it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, our true father put it that the core of art is love. That's something you can take home with you, right? Uh, the core of art is love. You know, people question art a lot because a lot of art is questionable. Uh, and what is often missing when we have those kind of questions about is this art or how can you call this art? It's because love is not at the core. If love were at the core, it would be very obvious, I think, uh, what is art and what is good art. So songs, dancing, art, these are ways that human beings uh, respond to God's joy and God's laughter. Father says, for the love of the world, God comes down and resonated with us through singing, dancing, and art. For the love of the world, God comes down and participates in these things. Why would God want to be involved? I think it's simply that it's expressing something of his nature. He sees himself reflected. If, if you see yourself reflected, you want to be there. And God wants to be there. So here's, uh, this is really a chance to, to air some very beautiful quotations from our true father, to be honest. Uh, here he says, to be an artist is to make one's life a work of art. Children's education should be imbued with art. A wife should be an artist of the emotions in the way she honors and shows appreciation to her husband. I believe that it is a greater art than the paintings that hang in museums. The greatest value of art is to beautify and elevate love in the family. Expressing God's nature, living by that love which is at the core of the universe. So everything in that respect should be art. Um, you know, I once had a dream. Uh, when I was sitting next to our founder, our true father. And he asked me a surprising question. He said, what can I give you? So I surprised myself in the dream. I often do. I have kind of dreams that make me wake up laughing, you know. Uh, I surprised myself in this dream because I didn't give what would be a typical answer for me, right? Something like, oh, you don't need to do that, you know, very kind of, you know, very English. Oh, that's fine. You've done far too much for us already. I don't, you know, a kind of Hugh Grant uh, uh, style response. Rather, I, I just said immediately, like I say, it surprised me in the dream. And very confidently, I said, I would love you to draw me a picture. And I think Father had never been asked that before. <laughs> At least, I can't tell, but I mean, so he just got a piece of paper and started drawing. He drew a boat and signed it. And I thought, this is the greatest treasure, right? How wonderful and how grateful I was. He just kind of, he understood and he just uh, did that for me. Not in reality, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, I was reminded of that thinking about this, uh, this topic. I was mentioning also, I don't know if anybody could join the Wednesday prayer call, but uh, True Mother is currently emphasizing that we teach and we can uh, incorporate in our outreach more of principles of creation than perhaps we have done in the past and putting less emphasis on restoration or these kind of topics. And that's, I think, takes, you know, I, I'm in a process myself of thinking, really, what does that mean? Um, I mean, the principle is the principle, and it'll stand always. But in terms of what is right, or what's the best way to touch the hearts of people in this age, then maybe that's the, you know, that's the thing that we should be pursuing. Um, because uh, you could... If you're from an older age, you could turn it around critically and say, why is nobody concerned about this or that or this or that? Uh, but also what is missing from their lives is some very pure experience of love and beauty and goodness. And if we can give that to, to somebody, we may you know, uh, creatively initiate a very powerful relationship which allows the love of God to touch them allows the Holy Spirit to come and lead them further. So that's my kind of uh, thesis of the morning, if you like. Um, I see that as we're kind of moving from uh, era or emphasis on salvation to restoration to recreation, which the principle talks about these as being synonymous, but like all good synonyms, there are very different words, uh, different reasons for those words, right? So they each have a certain use or certain meaning. Uh, yet they describe the same process. Salvation is restoration is recreation. Um, but they're describing the same process, but in different ways. And uh, um, we can, uh, through this, you know, we can ask, you know, which today for people is the more appealing of those three. Which is the more appealing and which is going to reach their heart? So I think it's important to think of ways and be creative in those ways, how we can employ the principle of creation in what we do. The principles of creation though, and uh, this was a challenge for me, again, when I was uh, teaching heart workshops originally, um, it can be taken as being rather dry and philosophical, right? Anybody struggle with that a bit? No? Uh, it can come across that way if you just read chapter one of uh, Divine Principle. But actually, for me, uh, the opposite is true. Anything that we do will bring joy and happiness to ourselves and to others if it embodies the principles of creation that originate in God and that we inherit from God as our heavenly parent. So let me share just some, this is just one of the examples which I use when I'm teaching, uh, I started out by teaching children this way, but now I do it in any seven day workshop actually, right? Because I don't think this area should be left as a kind of bit of philosophy, you know, when you talk about subject and object or masculinity and femininity or these kind of things. Uh, it shouldn't be left like that or like little uh, bubble diagrams, you know, which <laughs> kind of uh, people follow, but they don't really know 
what you are talking about. So I'm going to uh, illustrate one point. Are you ready? This is Stonehenge, right? So this is an extraordinary building, maybe built about 3,100 or 3,500 BC before Christ or before the Common Era. So um, yet what interests me is that the engineering here, although extremely difficult to build this and taking enormous amount of effort, uh, it's very simple engineering, right? It's what we call post and lintel system. Vertical posts or columns and horizontal beams, which you have to somehow get on top uh, to bridge the gap. So enormous amount of effort went into it, but in the concept of the engineering, it's very simple. Would you agree? So here, two and a half thousand years later, you have a Greek temple. They perfected this kind of style and this, uh, these uh, so-called orders. And um, I would say, if to go back to this, that this is a very masculine kind of principle at work. It's, you know, it, it does that job uh, that is asked to do. It's, it's there for structure and it's there for a solid bit of uh, engineering to hold uh, the ring of stones up on the top. Uh, this actually does exactly the same thing and it's the same system. There are essentially posts, which are, we call columns, and there are lintels, blocks that go to bridge the gap between those. They're more kind of measured, in a, and uh, the columns would not be solid, but they would be very carefully cut. And added onto this is an extraordinary level of what I would say is a feminine quality. Right? So still there's that masculine structure there, but then uh, lots of subtleties get not added on, that was the wrong expression, but they are kind of harmonized together, the masculine and the feminine. So if we look at it how it would have looked, something like this. There is evidence that it was painted uh, back in the day in the original uh, kind of temple uh, architecture. So um, there's a lot of uh, sculpture there. There's very, if you see these columns, they are not straight actually. They, they have what they call an entiasis, which is a very slight curve. And that is more pleasing to the eye. It seems to carry more of the weight so the, the roof floats a little bit. Uh, so what the Greeks were doing were playing with optical illusions. The, the steps at the front of these temples Actually, they're higher in the middle than at the edges. Because if they were flat, the extra thickness of that triangle, the middle of the triangle, would make the optical illusion that it was actually bent down. So they correct for that by putting in a curve that doesn't need to be there. Uh, also, those columns, as in the Parthenon, if you take the center line of the columns, they will join about a mile high, the center lines. In other words, they're not entirely vertical, they're slightly leaning in by a fraction, but very deliberately. So there are all these kind of interesting subtleties there, which means they were doing it for a purpose 
It didn't have to be there to hold the building up, but it was from some other pursuit, the pursuit of beauty, the pursuit of something uh, almost transcending this world and to make it a place for the worship of gods, of course. So here uh, True Father is saying, art is worthless unless there's a profound emotion in the background. A great work of art should be capable of arousing deep emotion, whether one views it today or a thousand years from now. A painting that can stimulate such a feeling deep in our hearts is called a masterpiece. So when I was uh, uh, mulling over these uh, Greek and later Roman temples, I was thinking, you know, uh, what's different about them? What makes them such a pinnacle of artistic achievement that's kind of emulated down through the centuries, inspiring either direct copies, which you'll see, or borrowing those styles, especially for important public buildings. You go to the British Museum, it's using that kind of architecture, or the American Capitol building is like that. Or the Chon Wong Gung, you know, has those elements in it. Still kind of a kind of new version of those classical elements and harking back to those things. Because I think somewhere they got something right, something which was a very profound uh, harmonization of masculine and feminine elements in a really perfect balance, such that generation after generation, people have uh, always seen beauty in it. It wasn't just a passing fad or a style that people liked and then threw away. It wasn't a fashion in that sense. It was something more, not because of what it was, as to how it embodied the principle. So I would kind of rest with you today a thesis that if something embodies the principles of creation, it will last in terms of its value and it will be appreciated by generation after generation, whether it's in, in music or in you know, architecture like this or whatever area, uh, or a good bit of design, you know, which is uh, um, going to last through the centuries. So, uh, again, the principle says that every man and every man has both male and female characteristics, right? Uh, also, every woman has female and male characteristics. And these uh, qualities actually refer to complementary characteristics that themselves are perfectly harmonized in God. And you know how somewhere we see the introduction of more oriental philosophy when Father's talking about these things. It pairs things such as convex and concave together, or left and right, or rough and smooth. Uh, speaking uh, of these things, when you speak of one, you're kind of automatically uh, acknowledging the existence of its counterpart. Right? So this is the case with masculine and feminine. It's the interplay of these complementary pairs that resonates with everything that God creates. And we, as human beings, respond to this and experience it as beauty, whether we are male or female. So uh, we have a much better screen than in past uh, sermons, so I'm very excited. I don't know what's changed, 
but it seems to be good today. So here you see, uh, I've got a few more pictures for you. These are the Corinthian columns. They don't have to be like that, again, for the structural purposes. They don't add anything to it. But visually, they make it look much lighter than a kind of Stonehenge approach, right? And it seems to float and seems to be very uh, ethereal in that way. Even the bottom here, you see how it's quite a lot of trouble gone to make these curves in the um, surface of the column. Uh, these are called flutes, and these, this fluting uh, produces this lovely uh, grading of shadows. Do you see on this picture? You need a place with good sun, that's why. Uh, uh, you know, uh, top of um, the, the, uh, where the Parthenon is, that's a wonderful place for this, because it's always bright sun. So it, it shows the kind of roundness of it through these stark shadows. So it's a lot of extra work to go to, but somebody felt this was necessary uh, for kind of aesthetic purposes. God's heart of true love is a heart to give more and more, and then to forget and forget again. So, Father said, it's to give unconditionally and to live for the sake of others. This is the foundation of the world of heart. God's ideal out of which he created the world began from his heart. And the arts which spring from this origin should resemble this heart. Hence, in the world of art, there can be no barriers. It's a way forward to part, I think, of God's effort to recreate one world is to uh, utilize the arts more and more. Right? I remember Father being asked, you know, why uh, his uh, put such emphasis on things like uh, little angels or universal ballet or this kind of uh, uh, project. Even early on, you know, in, in the movement's development, Father was already doing that. But he was very clear, you know, what are you going to be doing in the kingdom of heaven? What are you going to be doing? It's sowing a seed for some future life where we can really enjoy in a newfound freedom all the beauties, all the goodness, all the kind of limitless uh, aspects that our creativity can lead us to and to share with others. And that will create a kingdom of heaven. So he was... Uh, very visionary in thinking of that. Even though there were enough problems to be caught up with, he was still thinking, let's lay the foundation for what's going to be the future and what's going to last. As we say, uh, you know, principal lectures, um, in the end, most of what we're teaching is going to be history, except for the principles of creation. It's the only thing which will last out. The other may be interesting to people, um, you know, did, did human beings really do that you know, to each other? Do they, do they behave that way? We'll have these kind of questions from our children, hopefully, or their children. Um, but yes, you know, that, that was the past. That was on our fallen journey. And uh, to conclude, I remember one more very moving uh, thing to me from our true father. When uh, he said that when everything is over, 
and the kingdom of heaven is built. Because of the journey that humankind has gone through the fall, that kingdom of heaven will be more wonderful than it would have been had humankind not fallen. It'll be more wonderful than the kingdom of heaven would have been if humankind had not fallen, which I felt that's an amazing kind of justice for God himself, isn't it? Uh, and I could put it into some context myself by thinking, yes, I mean, uh, a person who's always had a very comfortable life has a certain quality of love, and you know that's wonderful. They can love people. But a person who's been through a lot of hardships but has come out victorious in terms of the realm of heart, and they can love people, and they could even love people who are doing terrible things to them, that person's love is understandably deeper. It's enriched you know, through that experience, an experience that maybe they should never have had to go through. But if they could survive that and pull through, then uh, the love is even deeper. And so too for this world that we're heading for. So my message really today is a simple one. I wanted to do something a little bit different, really. Um, uh, uh, so, so I hope that struck some of you. But uh, I'm encouraging you to think creatively. I'm not going to give you examples of what to do. But in witnessing uh, and in our outreach, you know, what can we do that's a little more creative that might uh, you know, surprise somebody? Or they'll be surprised by love. And I think that's a quality of true love. True love always somehow has a little element of surprise, right? Have you noticed that? It's like, oh, you did that for me? I wasn't expecting that. Oh, that's so lovely, right? That, that kind of surprise element is always there. And it can, it can always be there, especially in the husband-wife relationship. You know, you can always do something to surprise your partner and they'll be thinking I didn't know he loved me that much or you know I didn't know she loved me that much so creativity is where we get that kind of extra injection of something which is godly by nature and which also goes to enrich the lives and make more beautiful the lives of others thank you please join me in prayer our loving Heavenly parents, we pray that you can be the one to uh, encourage us and uh, stimulate our innate creativity that we all have, and that through us, other people can feel and be open to a world of love that perhaps they've not experienced in their life. Unconditional love is rare in current society, um, but you have explained to us that the closest to the original unconditional love of God is the love of a mother for her child. And yet all our relationships of love should have that quality to them. We have a long way to go in our restoration of love. But if this is really the time to uh, focus on recreation as a kind of guiding spirit, uh, then we pray you can open our minds and hearts to lots of new ways of doing things and to new ways of helping each other. We don't have to be uh, professional, staggering proponents of any 
art form, but we do need a genuine heart of love that reflects uh, your nature, and we want to embody as much of your nature in everything that we do. We thank you, we offer this time to you, and pray you can accept our sincere wishes and prayers. I report this in my name, David Hanna of the Blessed Central Family, our Jew. Thank you.